Welcoming you to another edition of Fibber McGee and Molly and the block of Fibber McGee and Molly shows. This is take five. For some reason, I don't know why my microphone deck is not working properly and I sound like an alien from another planet. So I'll try this again. Welcome to Fibber McGee and Molly. This episode is from 1947, November 25th. And Berber paints the kitchen. Don't know if Molly knows about it or not. We'll find out together. And after that is our Miss Brooks from 1954, October 17th, three days after my birthday. And the episode is entitled Photo Feud and You Bet Your Life from 1950, March 29th. The secret word is stove, S T O V E. Enjoy all these, and I'll see you all back here next week. God willing, and the crease don't rise. And my voice still sounds like crap. <laughs> the Johnson's Wax Program with Fibber McGee and Molly. The makers of Johnson's Wax products for home and industry present Fibber McGee and Molly with Bill Thompson, Gail Gordon, Arthur Q. Bryan, and me, Harlow Wilcox. The script is by Don Quinn and Phil Leslie. Music by the Kingsmen and Billy Mills Orchestra. What would you say does most in making a home beautiful? Well, for my money, nothing adds so much beauty as shining wax-polished floors. Floors polished regularly with genuine Johnson's wax have such a lovely, mellow appearance. They're so smooth and lustrous, and they set off your furnishings to such charming advantage. Of course, gleaming wax-polished floors are easy to have. Just apply a little Johnson's paste or liquid wax, buff, and right away your floors, too, will have that rich wax luster all the world admires. They will also be well protected against wear and scuff marks, and they'll be so easy to keep shining clean. Besides floors, Johnson's wax adds a bright glowing sparkle to furniture and woodwork, not to mention a hundred household accessories. In fact, use of genuine Johnson's Wax is a method of housekeeping. Protective housekeeping to take the place of constant soap and water scrubbing. Try it, won't you? Johnson's Paste or Liquid Wax to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the If a woman feels the need of a change of scenery, what does she do? Well, if she's loaded with folding money and looks chic in ski pants, she may go up to Sun Valley or dash over to the Swiss Alps. Or if she's on a short budget, she may just dash down to the Bonton department store in Wistful Vista and buy a new bread box with matching canisters. Like Mrs. McGee of Fibber McGee and Molly. How do you like 
like them, McGee. Don't they look pretty? My dear, I was just about to remark that I have never seen utensils made with such exquisite craftsmanship. Such cemetery of line and such delicate proportions. The finish is superb and the color is simply breathtaking. Then you're really pleased with them. I certainly am. What are they? <laughs> what are they? Why, heavenly days, it's a bread box and some matching canisters. Huh? My goodness, can't you read the printing on them that... Oh, wait till I turn them around. There. Oh. Bread, flour, sugar, and tea. Ah, very nice. That's a pretty shade of pink, all right. What do they call it? Pink? <laughs> yes, the sales girl said it was the latest shade. Spank baby pink. <laughs> Spanked baby pink. That's very descriptive. They certainly think up some fancy new colors these days. The only thing is, I'd see... Oh, what's the matter with me? It don't really matter. What, McGee? What, what? What's wrong with them? Well, maybe it's just because I'm so sensitive to my surroundings. Maybe it's because I got such a delicate sense of color harmony. But don't you think these uh, spanked baby pink canisters kind of clash with our kitchen? Hmm. Well, if you hadn't mentioned it, I never would have noticed. But it does make the kitchen look sort of dingy by contrast, doesn't it? Yeah. Shall I take them back and change them? No, I got a better idea. Paint the kitchen to match the new bread box. <laughs> well, if you think we can find a painter who can match this color... What do you well... mean, find one? Who do you think got a B-plus all through grade school for painting the best daffodils? <laughs> who once had the maple leaf he colored and cut out of cardboard pinned up in front of the whole fifth grade? <laughs> Who was it that was always chose to draw a turkey in colored chalk on the blackboard the week before Thanksgiving? Who was it? I give up. Me. <laughs> it was? You said it. Look, I'll trot down to the hardware store and get a batch of paints and brushes and linseed oil and porpentine, and I'll have this kitchen redecorated before you can say, oh, no, not that. Now, look, sweetheart, maybe we better get a professional painter to do it. Fred Banks could do this. Oh, no Fred Banks, Fred Banks, Fred Banks. My gosh, I can mix up a batch of spank baby pink that'll match this spank baby... Come in. Oh, hello there, Mr. Oldtimer. Hi, Oldtimer. Hello there, kids. What's new? This uh, bread box. <laughs> this bread box and these canisters. Well, now, ain't they pretty? What color is that, kids? That's what they call spank baby pink, Oldtimer. I'm going to paint the kitchen that color to match the new bread box. Stick around and watch me. Johnny, if I hadn't have read Tom Sawyer years ago, you might have hooked me on that. <laughs> I can't stay around people that are working with paint. I'm allergic. Allergic to paint? Nope, to work. <laughs> oh, you don't know what you're missing, old-timer. When I start mixing paint, people have been known to just stand there kind of hypnotized by my artistry. When I take the primary colors, red, green, and orange, and start delicately, delicately changing their chromatic values according to the laws of refraction and harmony, with due regard for humidity and perspective, I sometimes... Get my shoes so full of paint I splash when I walk. <laughs> McGee, you're sure you can mix the paint to match this new bread box? Yep. Seems a lot simpler for me to buy a different bread box to match the kitchen. Me too, Johnny. I mind one time when I was a boy, Mama bought a new doorknob that cost $1,700 and she... A new doorknob cost 1700 bucks. What was that made out of, solid gold? Nope, just plain porcelain. Oh. But it was wrong color. Yep. Papa had to buy a new door to go with it. That made the front hall look shabby, so after Mama got through having the dining room done over to match the paper she put in the living room to harmonize with the paint job in the hall to tie in with a new door that went with a new doorknob, the total bill was $1,703.10. <laughs>
ten cents for? New pane of glass in the living room, daughter. When Papa seen the bill for it, he'd give a kind of a low moan and jump clean through the window. Well, there's nothing like saying a jump ahead of your bill. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty good, daughter, but that ain't the way I heard it. Well, I heard it, one fellow says, a telefeller says, he says, I see where the movies are going to do the life of Al Jolson. That's so, says telefeller. Why, Sonny boy, I thought they'd already done that. They have, says the first fellow, but he's had an entirely new life since then. <laughs> to the orchestra and Stanley Steamer. Father died, he found himself cut off without a cent. Oh, the monkey and the... How are you coming along, McGee? You got the color mixed yet? No, just about. It's still a little red, but a dash of this white will tone her down. Watch this. Say, uh, how do you know what proportions to use? I go by the gloves. (laughs) By the what? The gloves. You notice when you pour the paint out, how it goes glub, glub, glub? (laughs) Well, I've discovered that five gloves of white mixed with ten gloves of red and a glove and a half of gray is almost the exact shade I want. (laughs) How's it look now? Too red. Mm. It's more of an embarrassed shrimp color than (laughs) than the spank baby pink. Mm -hmm. Incidentally, what's the bucket of paint on the stove? Huh? Oh, that's another batch I got too much red into. By the way, I owe you a new tea strainer. Why do you? I thought maybe I could strain the red out of it, but it didn't work. (laughs) Strainer was too coarse, I think. Too big a mesh. I 
think so, too. <laughs> now, let me see. One more dash of torpentine, and I'll just about have this. You see, there's quite a knack to mixing paint. Some people never seem to catch on to it. I'm beginning to think I'm one of them. <laughs> However, I'll just keep everlastingly at it until I... Come in. Oh, it's Mr. Williams from next door, McGee, the weatherman. Come in, Mr. Williams. Hi, Foggy, old weatherman. How are you? Fair, thank you. And warmer since I stepped inside. <laughs> well, let's just say fair and warmer with light shifting eyebrows due to seeing you up to your elbows in paint. <laughs> that is paint, is it not? Yes, ah, uh, yes. He's going to paint the kitchen, Mr. Williams. Was there something we could do for you? Uh, no, thank you. No, I was just verifying a report from my wife. She happened to be looking out our kitchen window an hour or so ago and saw a shadowy figure scurry furtively into our garage. Oh? It came out again carrying three large paintbrushes and a can of turpentine <laughs> and then darted back through the hedge, coming this way, she thought. <laughs> Rather accurately, it seems. Foggy, that's a wonderful woman you were married to. Thank you. Anyone who can read the label on a can of turpentine at a distance of 45 feet late in the afternoon has got awful good eyesight, and anyhow, I was running like a deer. <laughs> Dearie, don't you think it would be more courteous if you asked Mr. Williams if you could borrow his thing? Now, let's not get into that angle of it, kiddo. Suppose I always ask him. Suppose he says no, then where are we? Bad neighbors, ill feelings. This way, I take whatever I want out of his garage, and he takes whatever he wants back of his out of my garage, if he can find it. What do you think, Mr. Williams? Well, the system has its disadvantages, of course. What disadvantages? Selfish? Yes. Tell us, Mr. Williams. As the trainer of the St. Louis Baseball Club said when he wanted the boys to have a rubdown, let's put all our cards on the table. <laughs> Very well. A few nights ago, about midnight, or a little after, or a little before, I don't know which right now, or care, neither do you, I'm sure, Mrs. Williams and I heard a noise downstairs. I thought it must be burglars, but Mrs. Williams said, no, it's just Mr. McGee borrowing something again. At midnight? In your house? Well, as it turned out, it was burglars. They cleaned out the house. Oh. All the silver, fur coats, and radios, and cameras, and clocks, and our insurance had lapsed. <laughs> Well, I don't think that's so amusing, Mr. Williams. No, not amusing, perhaps, but so satisfactory. You see, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> not being a weatherman, you can't know what that meant to me, Mr. Williams. <laughs> well, I must get home and feed my groundhog. Good day. Probably. So long, buddy. I do think you've been awfully free about borrowing Mr. Williams' tools and things. Have you ever put anything back? Why should I put them back? He knows where they are. <laughs> Anytime he wants something his back from me, all he got to do is ask. Now, let me see. A little more linseed oil. Hey, by the way, what is a lin? What do you mean, what is a lin? I mean, the kind of a lin that they get the linseeds from to make linseed oil out of. Well, that's strange. I never even thought of that. I'm sorry, I did. Does it matter much? No, except I just got a busy little mind I like to know the answers to stuff One of these days I might get on a quiz program And I don't want to dummy up on them I know one question they might ask Which might be embarrassing What's that? 
why, when you stir the paint, do you stand with your left foot in one of the other buckets? Huh? Oh, my gosh. I knew that was there, too. Oh, well, I can't take it out now. It might drip all over the kitchen. Better stand right here till I get the mixture right. How's it look now? Well, to me, it looks like tomato ketchup with just a dash of old crankcase oil. Yeah. It is a little muddy at that, but you got to remember one thing about paint. It dries a lighter color than it, than it goes on. Or does it dry a darker color? Now, let me think. Yes, it dries a darker color than it goes on because I always feel... Hello, folks. May I come in? Oh, oh excuse me. <laughs> it's all right, Mr. Wilcox. That was an empty can. Yeah, you better stand in the door there, Junior. You're too clumsy for this sort of stuff. You know anything about mixing paints? Yes, I do. Quite a bit, in fact. Well, then keep quiet. <laughs> the only way I'll ever get any place with this job is by accident. Expert advice will only be confusing. Uh, may I ask what all the decorating is about? Yes, you may, Mr. Wilcox. I bought a new bread box and some matching canisters, so himself here is repainting the whole kitchen to match them. I didn't realize it got so drab-looking until we got the new bread box, Junior. Well, now, I hadn't wanted to mention it before, pal, but this kitchen has needed something for a long time. It, uh, well, it looks sort of dull. Well, I tried to do... Oh, don't misunderstand me, (laughs) Don't misunderstand me, Molly. You're the finest housekeeper I know. No doubt about that. But that's the very reason I've been bothered about your kitchen. Well, that's a fine mixed-up statement. Back up and take another run at it and don't drag your feet. (laughs) Well, what I mean is Molly keeps her linoleum here looking so bright and clean and sparkling with Johnson's self-polishing glow coat that it makes the rest of the room look sort of drab by comparison. Just look at that beautiful floor. Oh, for the... Ah, those regular applications of glow coat, that tough wax protection against dust and dirt and wear that Molly gives it just pouring it out, spreading it around, letting it dry to a beautiful gleaming fission. That's what... But, Mr. Wilcox... That's what keeps that linoleum so beautiful and new-looking. Oh, Feast your eyes on those shining colors, pal. It's glow coat that does that. Yeah, but because that... glow coat protects your linoleum floor coverings against wear and tear, against scuffs and scratches and spill things. Yeah, but that's that... why. That's why even now this linoleum looks almost brand new. When, as a matter of fact, it's been in here since. Well, say, just for the record, when did you buy this linoleum, Molly? Day before yesterday. That's what I say. Huh? Oh. You threw, Waxy. <laughs> yes, I guess I... No. I just want to say that if you keep glow coat on this new linoleum, it'll look just as pretty 20 years from now. And may I say one more word? Say it. Goodbye. He cheated. Goodbye is two words. <laughs> Pretty hard to head off when he's on that subject, isn't he, McGee? Yeah, but you did it for a minute. Hey, how long have we had this linoleum, anyhow? Oh, bought it when we moved in here nine years ago. Oh. But, uh, hey, watch the paint, McGee. You're dripping it. I'll call Wilcox back. He'll wipe it up with a damp cloth. <laughs> hey, how's this look now? Getting any lighter? Yes, much. I've seen flags on dynamite trucks that weren't any redder than that. <laughs> Plus, it isn't anything like that spanked baby pink yet. But... It will be. I'll get it. Hand me that roasting pan, will you? I'm running out of things to mix it in. I gotta have... Hold everything, company. Come oh, in. Oh, 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 oh. Hide the silverware, Molly. It's Horatio K. Boomer. Out here, Boomer. Ah, there, my little Botticelli. Busy with your painting, I see. I can sympathize with you as I, too, have often been in Dutch, boy. <laughs> How do you do, 
my dear. Hello, Mr. Boomer. I'd ask you to sit down, but himself here has cans of paint on everything horizontal. Quite all right, my dear. Don't uh, don't worry about that. Can't tarry but a moment. Just hastening down to the post office to mail a letter to an old cellmate of mine, September Jones. Well, that's an odd name, September Jones. He was named after the old saying, 30 days, half September. <laughs> ah, yes, a splendid lad. I took a rap for that boy one time. You took a rap for him? What happened? He was leaving a farewell house one night just ahead of the cops and loaded. I took a wrap and two mink coats up an alley for him for safekeeping. My gosh, Boomer, when your friends talk about the old ball and chain, they're kidding on the square, aren't they? <laughs> Quiet, you insolent puppy! I seem to have misplaced that letter. I had it just a minute ago. Letter, letter. Here's a piece of copper wire in case I want to wire a copper. <laughs> Here's a midget receiving set for picking up police calls. Received two midgets on this last night. Got them both jobs at the dairy as condensed milkmen. The letter, Homer, the letter, the letter. You're looking for a letter. Letter? Oh, yes, the letter. Where did I put that? Ah, what have we here? Oh, yes, a couple of short lengths of pipe and an elbow joint. Man in my business needs plenty of good connections. <laughs> Something else way down in this pocket here. Well, well, my garter. (laughs) Pardon me, my dear, I must have dug too deep. (laughs) Check for a short beer and uh, imagine that, no letter. Now, if you'll pardon my hasty departure, I must see the president of the Pawn Shop Owners Association about a series of parties they're giving this winter. Three balls, I believe. Pip, pip, paint post, toodaloo, toodle. The King's Men and Pass That Peace Pipe. The medicine man I met said, Don't get yourself in a sweat. When things look gray, just shrug and say, It must have been something I ate. And furthermore, when you get sore, here's something you should forget. If your temper's getting a top hand, all you gotta do is just stop and pass that peace pipe and bury that hatchet like the top. Cause Chickasaw, Chattanooga, Jimmy Walsh, Chocho, Chango, Chattanooga, Chica Rose, do. If you're feeling mad as a wet hen, mad as you can possibly get, then pass that peace pipe and bury that tomahawk like those Chichi Bex, Cherokee, Chipotle Bex, Chocho, Chango, Chattanooga, Chica Rose, do. Oh, okay. 
Mater's daughter, and he gave her quite a rush. But when I popped the question, that's when I got the brush. Oh, the monkey and the coconut. Hey, Molly, how does this color look? Well, I can't tell from looking at it in the bucket, dearie. Paint a dab of it on something, and maybe I can tell. I already did. Look at my left cheek from my nose to my elbow. <laughs> That's this color. It splashed a little bit. Mm. Well, I still think it's too red, mm. Remember now, this is just a kitchen, not a fire station. Yeah, that red sure takes a lot of toning down. I think maybe what I better do is start with a bucket of white paint and start adding red to it. Tone it up instead of down. See? I got a kind of a oyster blush pink here that I can't seem to get rid of. Come in. Dr. Gamble. Out here in the kitchen, doctor. Oh, hello, Molly. Has somebody been painting something? I thought I smelled... paint. <laughs> well, get a load of little inchy Vinci da Vinci. <laughs> what are you up to now, leadhead? His ears in paint, doctor. I'm redesecrating the kitchen, Melon Belt. You mean redecorating, stupid. <laughs> Don't tell me what I mean. Take a look at this mess. <laughs> He's trying to arrive at exactly the right color, doctor. Yeah. I bought a new bread box and some canisters at the Bon Tom this morning, and they made the kitchen look dingy, so he decided to paint the kitchen to match the bread box. You betcha. That sounds like one of his projects. If he ever gets a garden hose that's too long, he'll go out and buy a house with a bigger yard. <laughs> uh, may I ask, Dribble Finger... Just what color you're attempting to achieve? Yes, Doctor, you may. According to the sales lady, the bread box is a new color called Spank Baby Pink. Uh-huh. The closest I've been able to come to it so far is a color I call Old Inner Tube Crimson. <laughs> or Fever Scarlet. <laughs> Seems to be staying too red all the time, Doctor. Yes. Awfully hard to tone down. Mm -hmm. Whew. Incidentally, isn't it pretty close in here? Close. I don't know why you both don't have headaches that would kill a horse. How do you feel, Percheron? Who, <laughs> me? Well, I'm fit as a fiddle, Ducky. If you're trying to drum up a $3 fee for handing me an aspirin tablet, you're barking up the wrong hypochondriac. <laughs> How about you, Molly? Well, frankly, dearie, I'm a little woozy from the smell of paint. I think I'll go out for a little walk. Staying, doctor? No, thank you. I couldn't stand it. As a physician, I couldn't bear the sight of so potential a case of painter's colic. And as a firm believer in the sanctity of the home, this scene of devastation unnerves me. Well, go ahead. Take a walk. A walk will do you good, Doc. You're getting a pot on you that a cannibal could boil three friends in. <laughs> My dear boy, I merely give advice on health problems. I don't take it. Come on, Molly. Get out of here before you get turpentineitis. <laughs> So long, spatter drip. I'll be back very shortly, McGee. Yeah, do you mind my leaving? Oh, no, not a bit, Tootsie, not a bit. Probably get along a lot faster without so much kibitzing. See you later, Doc. Oh, I, boy. I don't see how it can be avoided. Mm. <laughs> ah, there goes the cup. Yes, sir, a couple of cute kids. And with them out of the house, I can really work. Now, let me see. Oh, I'll need one more big mixing pan. Oh, here we are, the wash boiler. Now then, a little red, four gloves of twerp, five gloves of white. There, that tones it right down to a deep maroon. Oh, how I dread this first look. I hope he hasn't completely ruined my kitchen. Yoo-hoo, McGee. Where are you, McGee? 
I'm out here, kiddo. I'm painting the kitchen, remember? Just finishing up. Well? Sweetheart, I wouldn't have believed it. You've done it. <laughs> take a look at the walls and then take a look at the bread box. How's that for a perfect match? Oh, it's wonderful. It really is. <laughs> How in the world did you ever get that exact shade? Well, it was simple when I figured it out, Tootsie. I just mixed all the paint I had together and got this shade of pink. Yeah. <laughs> and I just simply painted the kitchen with it. Yes, but McGee... Then when I finished the kitchen, I took some of the same paint and painted the bread box and the canister set. <laughs> Careful, careful, they're still wet. You know, in the old days, kitchens were gloomy places with floors and woodwork and equipment that were hard to keep clean. But today, the kitchen is a bright room where your family and your friends like to gather. Now, many things help to make your kitchen more cheerful. Gay curtains, colored walls, white kitchen equipment. And, of course, you already know the brightest idea of all, Johnson's self-polishing glow coat on your kitchen linoleum. The bright shine glow coat gives your floors adds a touch of sunshine that makes your whole kitchen sparkle. You see, the famous glow coat gloss is brighter than ever today, nearly twice as bright as before. And it's so easy to have. There's no rubbing or buffing with Johnson's glow coat. To get this sparkling coat of wax protection, just apply it and let it dry. It's such a comfort, too, to know that Glow Coat protects your floors. Why, dirt and spilled things wipe up just like that. And your floors stay beautiful many years longer. By all means, ask your dealer tomorrow for brighter than ever Johnson's self-polishing Glow Coat to bring out the beauty of the home. Look on the bright side, shine up the right side, bring out the beauty of the home. I think you did a wonderful job on that kitchen, and so quick, too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet a lot of people wonder how in the world you ever mixed the paint and painted a whole kitchen in just 29 and a half minutes. A lot of people? Well, a few. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's wonderful uh, how you can do so much in such a short time on the radio. Well, you couldn't do it except for that one gadget. Which one? The condenser. <laughs> Good night, all. Speaking for the makers of Johnson's Wax Products for Home and Industry, inviting you to be with us again next Tuesday night. Good night. This is NBC, the national broadcasting company. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Sometime now, our Miss Brooks and Miss Daisy Enright, both English teachers at Madison High, have competed for the affections of Mr. Boynton, Madison's biology instructor. Their rivalry may be compared to the spectacle of two fine boxers skillfully sparring for an opening, or two master chess players carefully planning each move, or two great generals planning attack and counterattack. Or a couple of dead-end kids armed with broken milk bottles and brass knuckles. <laughs> Several weeks ago, I finally conceived a plan of attack that was certain to eliminate Miss Enright forevermore as a rival for Mr. Boynton. The first part of the master plan called for my going on an intensive diet, 
And after living for weeks on carrots, dried fruits, and lychee nuts, the supreme moment arrived when I could say, Mrs. Davis. Yes, Connie. I'm ready now to sit for my portrait. Oh, I'm glad, dear, because I'm too weak to stand. (laughs) Well, that day, I sat for our town's newest portrait photographer, Laverne of Hollywood, on Walter Denton's special recommendation. And if I do say so myself, when Laverne snapped that shutter, I looked like a living doll. The following morning, Mrs. Davis couldn't restrain her curiosity any longer. Connie, please tell me, why did we have to go through all that for just one portrait? Well, Mrs. Davis, you've been so wonderful, I'm going to let you in on my secret. That portrait of me by Laverne is going to be a surprise gift to Mr. Boynton as a reward for the great honor that's just been conferred on him. Oh, of course. You mean his being appointed head scoutmaster of Eager Beaver Troop 32 of the Boy Scouts. (laughs) Yes, that's it. Mr. Boynton is the head, but probably least eager of the beavers. (laughs) Well, Mrs. Davis, what do you think of my idea? I mean, presenting Mr. Boynton with a framed photograph of myself. Oh, it'll make a lovely gift, dear. Will it be... A four by five or a five by seven? A sixteen by twenty-four. <laughs> the idea is for Mr. Boynton to see a great deal of me. <laughs> oh, of course. And sixteen by twenty-four is the largest size. Is that it? Outside of wallpaper, yes. <laughs> morning to Madison's most beauteous faculty member. Oh, hello, kids. Miss Brooks, how did you like that photographer Walter sent you to? Isn't Laverne of Hollywood the most? Well, his prices certainly are. Still, I'm not complaining, and I'm thankful to you, Walter, for sending me to him. But do me a big favor, will you? Don't, under any circumstances, tell anyone about the gift I'm giving Mr. Boynton. Also, let's keep your Mr. Laverne strictly to ourselves. Don't tell a soul. Not a female soul, hmm? Oh, I get it. And fear not, Miss Brooks. Your secret is sealed up in the chambers of my mind where it will remain solidly entombed like... uh, uh, Like... Like the answers to my last English quiz. (laughs) Just don't tell anybody. Now, don't worry, Miss Brooks. I wouldn't dream it. Oh, don't look now, but I think I see Miss Enright approaching on your starboard bow. Well, batten down my hatches and prepare to abandon ship. I wonder what she wants. Well, besides Mr. Boynton, I haven't the faintest idea. Ah, well, you'll soon find out. Yeah, come on, Harriet. we got to get to class. All right, Walter. See you later, Miss Brooks. Bye, Harriet. Well, good morning, Miss Brooks. And how is my dear friend this morning? If I can find one, I'll ask her. <laughs> oh, darling, you have such a charming sense of humor. Gay, effervescent, bubbling... Like a slightly moss-covered fountain. (laughs) Well, it's been nice chatting uh, chatting with you. (laughs) But I must be on my way to class. Oh, just a moment, Miss Brooks. I stopped you for a reason. It concerns Mr. Boynton. Mr. Boynton? Yes. You see, I have a delightful surprise for him as a reward for the honor he's just won. Really? Now, Miss Brooks, the only reason I'm discussing the question of gifts with you is to prevent us from both giving him the same thing. Oh, well, there isn't a chance of that, I assure you. No, I suppose not. I'm presenting him with a framed photograph of myself taken by Laverne of Hollywood. And that's something you could never possibly have thought of, unless we were sisters living under the same roof. 
What do you hear from Mom, sis? What? You can't be serious. You mean you intend giving him the same thing? That's what I mean. But where on earth did you get the idea? And drop dead Walter Denton. Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, Walter did give me the idea. I've already had my picture taken. I was supposed to pick it up this afternoon, so I'm afraid you'll have to... Oh, I'm supposed to pick mine up this afternoon, too, so I'm afraid you'll have to... Very well, darling. I see I'll have to convince you to back out the hard way. Here, you may look at the proof of the picture I'm giving him. Certainly. It must be pretty awful. Wow! I don't look too bad in a French bathing suit, do I, dear? I don't know. Where is the suit? Yes, there it is. I thought at first it was a speck of dust. <laughs> Miss Enright, this isn't fair. Besides, Mr. Boynton would never display such a photograph, unless it had a calendar under it. Oh, I have a feeling you love it, darling. Men being men. And now, what did you say you were getting him, dear? I don't know. I may just decide to hop up on his bureau myself. Well, it was quite a blow to hear that Miss Enright was going to surprise Mr. Boynton with a photograph of herself at the same time I was. All morning, I thought of how to prevent it, but without success. So in order to be certain my lunch hour would be free for additional thought, at noon I took every possible precaution to avoid passing our beloved principal's office. I walked down the back stairs, past the women's lockers, through the cellar, then through the furnace room, up the stairs to the furnace room door, which faced the rear of the cafeteria. As I opened the door quickly, it landed against something soft. You can help me up now if you want to. <laughs> Mr. Conklin! Oh, my goodness, sir, I'm terribly sorry. But why were you shaving all the way back here? I wasn't shaving, Miss Brooks. My face was just propelled into my custard pie. <laughs> I was carrying a tray of food. A tray of food? But I don't see any food. How could you? Thanks to you, I'm sitting in most of it. <laughs> Miss Brooks, was your mother ever frightened by a keystone cock? Really, Mr. Conklin, I'm terribly sorry, but I had no idea... Oh, never mind. What's done is done. I suppose I can brush most of this stuff off. I wanted to have a word with you anyway, but hardly under these circumstances. <laughs> now, to be brief, it has come to my attention that a few of my teachers are considering patronizing a certain notorious photographer in town. A notorious photographer? Yes. This man, Laverne, has been making his living up to now in Hollywood taking cheesecake pictures of cinema starlets. Such a man can have nothing but a corrosive and demoralizing effect on the community. And I'm sure Mr. Stone, the head of the Board of Education, would concur in this opinion. How do you know, sir? I asked him. <laughs> Therefore, henceforth, Mr. Laverne's studio will be considered out of bounds to Madison's personnel. And any teacher or pupil found on or near his premises will be ruthlessly dealt with. Is that clear, Miss Brooks? Yes, sir. Then I won't detain you from your lunch any longer. And please pass the word along to any teachers you meet in the cafeteria who have not already heard my edict. But aren't you coming in for lunch today, sir? With you in the same cafeteria, I wouldn't dare. <laughs> well, see you later, then. Well, hello, Miss Brooks. Oh, hello, Mr. Boynton. I was hoping I'd run into you down here today. 
I wanted to treat you for lunch. Sort of celebrate the award I won. Well, Mr. Boynton, how thoughtful. Is that the lunch and the bundle you're carrying? In the bundle? Oh, no, no, Miss Brooks. That's some track pants for later. I intend giving my mother a photograph of myself by Laverne of Hollywood. That's why I'll need these track pants for my photograph. You're posing in just track pants? That's right. My mother always liked my athletic pictures at college, so I thought I'd pose for one like that now. I want it to be a complete surprise. Don't we all? <laughs> well, aren't you taking an awful chance after Mr. Conklin's edict? Well, because Laverne's studio is out of bounds? I've thought about it, Miss Brooks, but since I'm already committed, I'll take my chances. Oh, when are you going down to have this photograph taken? Well, I have an appointment with Laverne at 4 o'clock this afternoon. 4 this afternoon? Oh, yes. It's the only time he has open for weeks. Some woman is supposed to come in to pick up her picture a little before that, and I'm supposed to follow this woman. I know. You were supposed to follow this woman for the past six years, but you sure picked a heck of a time to start. But, Miss Brooks, the only reason I came into your classroom was to explain what happened... It's true Laverne paid me 10%, but you see, I... Walter, it's a little late for explanations. By now, because of your recommendations, everyone in school is having his picture taken as a surprise gift for someone else. But worst of all, because of your galloping jaws, Mr. Conklin has declared Laverne out of bounds. Oh, I didn't mention him to Mr. Conklin. Laverne sent him a special calendar of his beautiful girls for Christmas, and Mr. Conklin tore it up. Are you certain? Of course I'm certain. I was in his office when he took it out of his wall safe this morning and tore it up. <laughs> it figures. Well, perhaps I have misjudged you slightly, but my particular problem is to prevent Miss Enright from giving Mr. Boynton her picture. Well, I think I've got a way to eliminate Miss Enright. Quick, clean, and easy. Yeah, I thought of that too, but she refuses to eat the cafeteria food. <laughs> no, it's nothing like that, Miss Brooks. But I know she can't pay for her picture until the first of the month. And if you can convince Mr. Laverne that she's a bad credit risk when you pick up your picture, he may not give Miss Enright hers. Who's your study teacher, Lucretia Borgia? <laughs> Say, that might work at that. Yeah, of course it will. Well, does that prove that your interests are uppermost in my mind, Miss Brooks? And that my plugs for Mr. Laverne were not only for personal gain, but also mere boyish enthusiasm? Walter, your boyish enthusiasm stopped when you traded your celluloid rattle to the baby next door for his gold teething ring. Later that afternoon, in spite of Mr. Conklin's edict, I was in Laverne's studio. When he showed me my portrait, I told him how happy I was with the result. Well, I'm delighted that you're pleased with my work, Miss Brooks, and I hope the others who are coming in this afternoon are equally satisfied. Uh... You're expecting Miss Enright, aren't you? Why, uh, yes. Do you know her? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Good old Skippy is a... Skippy? Oh, that's just a friendly little nickname that the loan company gave her. <laughs> Good old Skippy, always the first to skip a payment. She skips payments? Yes, but she's so wonderful. You know, she never has less than a half a dozen men chasing after her. Well, she must be quite popular. They're all from the collection agency. Well, <laughs> no. I think perhaps I'd better hold on to Miss Enright's picture until... 
Who's that? Oh, uh, probably Mr. Boynton. He's also a teacher. Oh, I've got to get out of here. My picture is a surprise for him. He mustn't see me here. Quick, where can I hide? Where? Where can I hide? Oh, goodness, this is exciting. I feel just like we're being raided. (laughs) Over there, Miss Brooks, that door leads to my dark room. You can stay there until I get rid of Mr. Boynton. Uh, That's it, right through that door. Oh, Mr. Boynton, just in time, I see. Uh, Mr. Laverne, this picture you're taking of me is to be uh, for my mother. And I'd like a a relaxed, informal pose. Oh, nothing else but. Uh, Would you like one of those studious shots? You know, pipe in mouth and that dreamy look in the eyes. Or would you prefer to pose bare in a leopard skin? A leopard skin? Oh, you'd look just snazzy. (laughs) Uh, No, no, no thanks, Mr. Laverne. What I want... Oh, goodness, that must be somebody else from the school. From the school? Oh, holy smoke. Your place is out of bounds for us. Oh, I gotta get out of here. Now, where can I hide? Uh, Where does that door lead to? Uh, The dark room, but... Oh, never mind. That's good enough. Oh, that was a close shave. Oh, thank gosh, it's dark in here. Why, it'd be completely dark if it weren't for that dim purple light over the basin. Anybody got a slingshot? Miss Brooks! Oh, gosh, you startled me. What are you doing here? I just know that streetcar gag won't hold up. (laughs) Well, you see, Mr. Boynton, I was... probably the same reason I'm here. Well, I think that's Mr. Conklin out there now, Miss Brooks, undoubtedly checking up on us. Uh, Goodness knows how long we'll have to stay huddled together in this stuffy dark room. Maybe half an hour. Or an hour. Or two. (laughs) Or (laughs) twelve. Or a week. A week? Or maybe Mr. Laverne will forget about us and go on a vacation. (laughs) We may be here quite a while. Well, I suppose we might as well do something while we're waiting for Mr. Conklin to leave. Yeah, we might as well, mightn't we? (laughs) We might as well do that. We certainly might. (laughs) Might as well. Now, what would be something for two people to do together in a dark room? Two guesses, and I can't stay puckered forever. Oh, I've got it. Of course. Why didn't I think of it before? The ideal thing. Yes, Mr. Boynton? We'll develop some of Laverne's pictures for him. What a revolting development this is. Maybe I'd better take a peek outside and see what's going on. No, Mr. Boynton. Let them lead their lives, and we'll lead ours. Just one little peek. Miss Enright, if I let you have the picture, are you certain you can pay by the first of the month? Oh, absolutely. You may even get your money sooner. If Miss Brooks pays me the $300 she owes me. Miss Brooks owes you $300, Skippy? Uh, Miss Enright? (laughs) Yes, and I just hate to ask that poor bankrupt soul for the money. Just isn't like me to hit anyone when she's down. Not when you can kick her in the head instead. <laughs> Heavens, Miss Enright, I had no idea Miss Brooks was... Who's that? Probably someone from your school. Walter Denton has sent but me a the number... School, but this place is out of bounds. Oh, quick, where can I hide? Well, I'm having splendid success with the dark room. <laughs> yes, that's it. Is that where the door leads? Yeah, but Miss Enright... Oh, my goodness, it's dark in here. Where's the light in this place? Oh, that's not a light switch you're turning, Miss Enright. That's my nose. (laughs) Miss Brooks, what are you doing here? 
I was doing fine until you butted in. Oh, hello, Miss Enright. Why, Mr. Boynton. Oh, sh- quiet. Quiet. I think I hear Mr. Conklin's voice. Mr. Conklin? Oh, if he finds me here, I'll be fired. Well, don't worry. There's a civil service exam for county dog catcher coming up. You are there. Uh, if we're all quiet for a minute, maybe I can take a look outside. Uh, no, no, Mr. LeBurn. I look ridiculous posing in that leopard skin. But, Mr. Conklin, you said you wanted an unusual portrait of yourself, didn't you? Well, of course, but I prefer to pose in my own skin, if you don't mind. Very well, sir. Who's that? Who, who, who? Good grief, I must be seen in here. This place is out of bounds. Where can I hide? Where, 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 where does that door lead to? The fraternity room. There's <laughs> <laughs> standing room only in there. The dark room. Yes, the dark, that's it. The dark room. Yes, but, but, sir, I don't think it's Goodness, this door must be automatic. It opened up for me just as I approached it. <laughs> Just lucky none of my faculty know I'm here because... Hello, Mr. Conklin. Hello, Miss Brooks. <laughs> if they ever heard about it, I could hardly bear to look any one of them. Hello, Mr. Conklin. Hello, Mr. Boynton, in the face. <laughs> Besides, they'd have so much on me, I'd probably never live it down as long. Hello, as Mr. Conklin. Hello, Miss Enright. As I remained at Madison, they'd hold it over me, do everything in their power to force me to do whatever they wanted. And there's nothing I could possibly... Hello, Miss Brooks, Mr. Boynton, Miss Enright! <laughs> talking to myself. No, but you soon will be. But, but what are all of you doing here? Oh, uh, just a moment, sir. I think I hear Mr. Stone's voice out there. Mr. Stone? Oh, what will I do? I'm ruined. What can I tell him if he finds me in here? We might tell him Mr. Laverne's hobby is collecting school teachers. <laughs> oh, what's the use? I couldn't stand the embarrassment of having Mr. Stone find me. I'm going out there like a man and give myself up. Oh, no, don't do it, sir. Mr. Stone! Good heaven! Holy catfish! Oh, I don't know. I think Mr. Stone looks cute in that leopard skin. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, transcribed with produced and directed by Larry Burns. Written by Arthur Allsberg and Lou Derman with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Conklin was played by Gail Gordon. Others in tonight's cast were Jane Morgan, Dick Crenna, Bob Rockwell, Ann Whitfield, Mary Jane Croft, and Frank Nelson. Be sure to be... Ladies and gentlemen, the secret word tonight is stove. S-T-O-V-E. Really? You bet your life! The DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America present Groucho Marx in You Bet Your Life, the comedy quiz series produced and transcribed from Hollywood. And here he is, the one, the only... Well, Marx came in like a lion and he's going out like a lamb. Hey, that's me, Groucho Marx. Thank you. Well, here I am again with $2,000 for one of our couples tonight. George Fenneman, who's first? <laughs> we invited some babysitters and some kindergarten teachers to the program, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected sitter Gene Hanner and teacher Gloria Longo, and here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Well, welcome, ladies, for the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers, and if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. 
A babysitter and a kindergarten teacher, huh? Miss Longo, is that right? Gloria Longo. What, what school are you from, uh, Gloria? I teach at Mar Vista School in West Los Angeles. Miss uh, Hannah, you, you're the uh, babysitter, huh? I am not a babysitter. I'm from the Babysitter's Guild. I work in the office. Don't you do any sitting? Oh, I sit in the office. You sit. <laughs> well, do you, do you have somebody uh, sit for you? Or just, just what do you do there? I dispatch the sitters to the clients. Mm-hmm. Well, could you assign one to me, about 18, blonde and pretty? And <laughs> not a good conversationalist? I'm afraid not. You don't have to be afraid. You're, you're sitting in your office. and. <laughs> Just why wouldn't you let me have a babysitter? I'd let you have a babysitter over from 45 to 60. <laughs> I'd rather have one between 8 and midnight. If... <laughs> they don't call me Captain Midnight for nothing. <laughs> but why would you send me a woman between 45 and 60 as if I didn't know? <laughs> Well, I found that it was very difficult for women over 45 to get positions despite their ability. We have to put them to work. We're taking them off the backs of their children and letting them be... Is that where they do their supporting. <laughs> well, the children don't like to support the mother-in-law, so I decided I'd put these women to work. They're independent. They're doing a good job of trust. Well, I should think so. I mm-hmm. want to apologize for any flippancy that I may have thrown around here. I think you're doing a wonderful job. Mm-hmm. Now, Gloria, that's uh, that's you. Uh, how did you meet your husband? Well, we met in college. It was during a French examination that I first uh, was aware that he was staring over my shoulder. <laughs> now, after four years, uh, we've been married four years, and he's still in college. <laughs> Well, he didn't have his mind on those papers, I don't <laughs> Well, how, how, many ch- how many children do you have, uh, teacher? Twenty-five at a time. Gee. <laughs> Twenty-five kids, and that fellow is still in school. Now, teach, uh, uh, I call you teach, huh? Uh, how, how old are your uh, kindergarten pupils? They're about five years old. That, that young, huh? Well, what can you teach a child of five, huh? We try to teach them some desirable social habits and that it's necessary that you share your things and how to get along with other people. When you want a toy from someone, you just don't go over and hit him on the head to get it. You ask him for it politely. And then you throw a hydrogen bomb at him? Is it- <laughs> Now, teacher, suppose one of your pupils shoots a spitball at you. How do you discipline a five-year-old kid? Five-year-old children don't throw spitballs. We don't, huh? Now, how do you make a spitball? <laughs> well, you tear up any bit of paper you have lying around and roll it up good and tight. Then you uh, look for a rubber band and then shoot. That's all. Apparently, you do this pretty often, huh? <laughs> Now, in your kindergarten, do you find that girls are more difficult to handle than boys? Uh, girls are not quite as difficult to handle because they are more vain and they don't want to risk your disapproval. Uh-huh. Well, all I can say is that little girls are more important. Little boys grow up to be presidents, but little girls grow up to be big girls. And... <laughs> 
Well, if I ever want a job as a babysitter, I'll know right where to go. All right, let's see how well you two work together as a team. Now, in just one minute, you're going to try for your chance at the $2,000 question. You bet your life. It's important to have confidence in the people to whom you take your car for service. You want to be confident that they know how to perform good work. And you want to feel confident that you'll be charged a fair price. Well, the DeSoto Plymouth Dealers of America know that the best way to get car owners to have this kind of confidence in them is to live up to these things. And that's what they try to do day after day as car after car comes in. They do the best work that skilled men working with fine equipment can do. They charge fair prices for the work done. And when they make promises, for example, about getting your car ready for you at a certain time, they do their best to make good on them. For this kind of a square deal, drive in where you see the sign of an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Now let's see if a babysitter and a kindergarten teacher will be the ones who get the chance at the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question. Fenneman, tell them the rules. Each of our three couples has $20. They bet as much of that 20 as they want on each of four questions. The couple that earns the most money gets a chance at the $2,000 question at the end of the show. Our other two couples are in a waiting room off stage, so they don't know what's going on out here. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected famous women as your category. Is that right? Here's your first question. You have $20. How much will you bet? Ten. What was the name of the famous English woman who established modern nursing during the Crimean War? Nightingale. Florence Nightingale is right. Well, we'll just start with $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. Now, how much of the 30 will you try? 20. 20. 20. What was the name of the woman from Wimpole Street who was considered England's greatest poet? Elizabeth Barrett. Elizabeth Barrett Browning is right. They're climbing now. They have $50. I'll give you the full name. I knew her husband very well. Now, here's your, <laughs> here's your third question. You have $50. How much will you try? 40. 40. 40, 40. 40 smackers. Say, you're really gamblers, eh? What was the name of the woman scientist who, with her husband, discovered radium? Marie Curie. Madame Curie. They're really on their way. They have $90. All right, you got $90, according to Fenneman. Is your last chance to beat the other couples? How much of the 90? 80. What was the name of the temperance leader who broke up saloons with her hatchet? Carrie Nation. Carrie Nation. And they wind up with $170. Well, thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealer. Stick around now. You may get the chance at the big question. Groucho, the secret word is still stole. I know that, George. But perhaps the next couple will say it, too. We invited some census takers to the show, and just before we went on the air, our studio audience selected Miss Ketty Bowling. Her partner is a husband, Mr. Stanley Poster, selected from the audience. And here they are. Folks, meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, youngsters, to You Bet Your Life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. A census taker, eh? Uh, that's you, Miss uh, Bowling? Yes. That's you. Uh, you ask people questions, is that correct? That's right. Mind if I ask you some questions? No, go right ahead. Thank you. I have no intention of stopping now anyway. <laughs> Uh, as for instance, age? 27. Address? 531 West 82nd Street. Splendid. Telephone? <laughs> yes. Not so good. Uh, 
What is your phone number? Uh, uh, Trinity, 900, extension 112. What number is that? Well, that's the Census Bureau. Period, end of interview. Huh? <laughs> you're the husband from the audience, Mr. Poster? That's right. You're not, you're not her husband? <laughs> no. <laughs> what, what sort of work do you do, Stanley? Well, I'm a law student, and I work in a shoe store on Saturdays. Do you have any uh, little ones crawling around the house? Yes. You better call the pest exterminator. <laughs> you have any children? Two. Two, huh? How many? Two. Still have two, huh? Does your wife work? No. With uh, two youngsters? How does, she, how does she get out of it? Huh? Well, I mean, she hasn't got a job. You don't consider taking care of two kids in a house and you a job, huh? What kind of an attitude is that? She doesn't have a job with an income. You mean you never even give her a dime for a new house? <laughs> How did you meet your wife, uh, Mr. Poster? Well, in 1946, I was in the Navy in San Francisco, and I called up a uh, midnight radio program once to request a certain record. And somehow the lines got crossed, and I began talking to a young girl. And I spoke to her and got her phone number, and I called her up about six or eight times, spoke to her, but she never would date me. I tried, and she acted interested in me, asked me a lot of questions, but wouldn't date me. Two years later, I was out of the Navy in Los Angeles here, and my father was dating this certain woman, and this woman kept... The same girl? No. No, a woman more his age. Oh. And, uh... He kept telling, uh, the woman kept telling me about her young daughter and how much she wanted me to meet her daughter and so forth. And I kept putting it off. And uh, finally, one day, we were brought together, and it turned out to be the same girl that I'd spoken to on the phone all this time. Well, that's a fabulous story. Huh? <laughs> Is that really true? It's really true. Oh, my gosh. In fact, she was a psychology student at Stanford, and the reason she kept talking to me on the phone is she was psychoanalyzing me all this time. <laughs> You thought you were a, a Romeo and you were just an exhibit, is that it? <laughs> now, census taker, can you use that information in your census? No, we're not interested in people's romances. <laughs> well, you better be. If people stopped having romances, you wouldn't have any census to take. <laughs> Katty, uh, Katty... Uh, there's been a lot of publicity that 1950 is a census year. Tell me, how many people have you counted so far? None so far. None? None. Where have you been working all this time? In, <laughs> in Death Valley? <laughs> we don't begin the census till April the 1st. Well, can I expect the census taker to knock on my door April 1st? Yes, you can. Finances you'll get on April Fool's Day. <laughs> Let's see what you know about your job. For example, uh, uh, how many married women are there in the country? I don't know. Fine census taker. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, 50% of the married people in the country are women. <laughs> Watch you that time, didn't you? <laughs> What's your phone number? It's the same as it was before. Well, I'm, I'm the same as I was before. <laughs> now, how often do they take the census? Every ten years. This is the 17th decennial census. You mean the, the first census was taken 170 years ago? That's right. Must have been an easy job in those days, huh? There weren't <laughs> many people to count. George Washington had just become the father of the country. 
How many of you will be taking the census starting April 1st? Well, there will be 140,000 enumerators. I know that, but how many census takers will there be? <laughs> so there'll be 140,000 of you, eh? How many questions uh, will you ask? We'll ask 19 basic questions. What do we do if we answer all 19 questions correctly? You get a mink coat and a trip around the world? <laughs> no, you don't Ice get anything. You don't get anything. Oh, your quiz program's crooked, too, huh? <laughs> Now, suppose I refuse to answer any of your questions. Well, the law uh, requires that you cooperate with the census taker. Well, that's just what I've been trying to do. What's your phone number? <laughs> shall I call you up tomorrow night, would you tell me? Mm-hmm. What number shall I call to find out? You're just trying to catch me, that's all. I certainly am, but uh, <laughs> in the meantime, let's get back to business, huh? <laughs> Now, what are some of the questions you're going to ask of the 150 million American citizens? Pretend Mr. Poster here is an average citizen. Now, you interview him. Go ahead. All right. Uh, Relation to head of the household? He's married to her. (laughs) Uh, Race? Yeah, you'll have to give him a head start, I think. (laughs) Uh, Sex? Well, you can answer that yourself. What everybody in the country can expect. Well, thanks to Miss Bowling, I'll know just what to expect when the census taker rings my doorbell. And I'm going to cooperate, and I'm sure all good citizens will do the same. Now, let's see if you two will be the big winners tonight and get a chance at the $2,000 DeSoto Plymouth question. I can't tell you how much our first couple of won, but George is off stage to remind our listeners. The babysitter and the kindergarten teacher earned $170. Here we go. Let's say Ohio can build you $20. You selected songs about the South as your category. You have $20. How much will you try? We'll bet ten. Ten dollars All right. What is the name of this song? Play, Jerry. Sounds like Carry Me Back to Old Virginia. Carry Me Back to Old Virginia. And they're on their way with $30. All right. Now you got $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much is the 30 $20. Here we go. Give me the title of this song. Okay, Jerry. Georgia. Georgia. Georgia, on my mind. I have $50. All right, you climb. You got 50 bucks. Here's your third question. How much of the 50? 40. Let's see if you can identify this one. All right, you got $90. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the 90? 75. Okay, give me the title of this song. Play, Jerry. Carolina by Gus Kahn. And they wind up with $165. Thanks and good luck from the DeSoto Plymouth dealers. Now, in just a moment, our last couple will try for the chance at the $2,000. Benjamin, who's ahead? Well, the babysitter and the kindergarten teacher are out in front with $170. And the secret word is still stole. Perhaps the next couple will say it. Who, who, who is the next couple, George? A Navy parachute jumper and a window washer, Groucho. And here they come, Warrant Officer Clarence Storm 
and Mr. John Berkey meet Groucho Marx. Welcome, gentlemen, to your bet your life. And if one of you says the secret word, he wins $100 in cash. It's a common word, something you'll find around the house. Uh, Warren Officer Clarence uh, Storm, is that right? That's right, yes. Any port in a storm. Uh, you're a Navy parachute jumper? I am, yes. Glad you dropped in. Where Where are you from? Uh, <laughs> where are you from, Warren Officer? I'm a test the Naval Air Parachute Experimental Station. Where, where El Centro. Oh, at El Centro. It's a good thing you're attached to something. Uh. <laughs> what kind of jumping do you do? Uh, test jumping, jumping new parachutes and trying out new techniques. You're sort of a Navy fall guy, eh? <laughs> you know, you look pretty old to be a parachute jumper. How, how old are you, Mr. Storm? Forty-two years old. Forty-two. You're the window washer, is that so, Mr. Berkey? Yes, sir. John Berkey. Is that an English name? Or... No, that's Irish, strange as it seems. Well, that doesn't seem so strange to me. And how are you this evening, huh? <laughs> sure, and you're looking fine, too. Right? <laughs> I'm the poor man's Pat O'Brien, huh? <laughs> you're, you're a window washer? Yes, sir. Uh, are you married? Yes, sir. Uh, what about you, parachute jumper? Are you uh, hooked up? Uh? I'm hooked up. <laughs> Just couldn't get by a leap year, eh? <laughs> uh, how many times have you have you jumped? Over 300 times. You've completed 300 jumps? I've completed 300 jumps. Uh, how many haven't you completed? <laughs> I've completed every one I started. Is it true if the parachute doesn't open, you get your money back? <laughs> There's nothing to that story. I believe not. As a parachute jumper, what is the main requirement for the job? Well, a uh, good physical condition and not to have agoraphobia. You mean if you have acrophobia, you can't uh, be a parachute jumper? That's right. Well, what can, what can you be if you have acrophobia? <laughs> that I don't know. Well, that's what I'd like to find out because <laughs> I was planning on getting acrophobia and I... <laughs> I'd like to know how I get adjusted to my normal living. <laughs> well, let's take a look in your windows. Uh, who do you work for, Mr. Berkey? Uh, American Building Maintenance Company. We uh, do office buildings and hotels downtown. Your customers are tall buildings, eh? Have you ever fallen out of a customer? <laughs> what kind of windows do you wash? Well, all kinds of windows, especially dirty ones. <laughs> well, I didn't think you went around washing clean windows. But... <laughs> I mean, have you ever washed a bay window? How long does it take to clean the average size widow? Uh, I mean widow. <laughs> average size window. Uh, that all depends upon uh, how many panes there are. How many panes the window has or the widow? Or... Well, the windows are different types. They are. Some are cut up. Well, so are the paint. widows, huh? <laughs> no standard type widow, you know. What's, what's, what's the procedure for jumping from a plane, Mr. Storm? Well, it depends on which way you want to jump. Well, let's say you want to jump down. I guess. Oh, well, yeah. I, I know you won't believe it, but I get so tired of jumping up. How do you mean, which way am I jumping? Well, the way I do it, I uh, check my rigging right good, and then take my teeth out and put them in my pocket, and I'm ready to go. teeth out and put them in your pocket? Have you ever been bitten on the way down? <laughs> now, what, what kind of jumps are there, Mr. Storm? 
there's several different types. Uh, you can go out through the bottom of the plane or out through the side. Uh, there's a delayed jump and a pilot ejection seat jump. What's the ejection seat jump? Uh, that is where the pilot and seat is shot out together uh, by an explosive mechanism. Have you done that? I have done that. Is it much of a shock? No, it's very nice. <laughs> you mean you're crazy about it? <laughs> Sounds like interesting work. If you're in a fighter plane, you run out of bullets, you just shoot the pilot at him, huh? <laughs> I'm getting jumpy just talking to you. Now, now tell me, window washer, how are things on the 21st floor? Fine. No pains? No pains. <laughs> That's bad. In your job, you haven't got any pains, you're all washed up, aren't you? <laughs> You charge the same prices for windows on the second floor as you do for windows on the 15th floor? No, the first uh, two floors uh, have a different rate uh, from the third on up. It's about the same. Why are the first two floors uh, less? Well, uh, feel after the from the third to the 18th floor doesn't make any difference how far you fall in. You... <laughs> well, that argument is as solid as the ground you'd land on. <laughs> What do you think about when you're way up in the air cleaning windows? Usually about the same as you would on the ground. <laughs> well, I doubt that, or you wouldn't be up there cleaning windows. <laughs> now, what do you think about when you're dropping in your parachute, Mr. Storm? Well, I'm just looking the scenery over, getting a nice bird's eye view. <laughs> What's the most exciting experience you've had in your job? Well, I think that happened just a short time ago when I had three parachutes on. I threw the first one out, and it tangled up. I threw the second one out, and it tangled up. So then I threw the third one out, and it tangled up. About 300 feet in the ground, one of them finally opened and let me down safely. And suppose the third one hadn't opened up. I didn't have any more. <laughs> I'm even nervous on this stool sitting here. <laughs> Do you have any advice for young fellows interested in a career like yours, Mr. Storm? Well, I'd advise them to drop in at the recruiting station. <laughs> well, I've kidded you, Warren Officer, but in my book, you're a hero. You risk your life all the time to save the lives of other people. And window washer, if it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be able to see what's going on in the outside world. <laughs> we really wouldn't. I think we'd be much better off if we didn't see what was going on. <laughs> Now, you're going to work together for a chance of $2,000. You beat the other couples, and you get the big chance later. I can't tell you how much they won, but Fenneman's going to remind our listeners. The babysitter and the kindergarten teacher are still ahead with $170. Here we go. Let's see how high I can build you $20. You selected Rivers of the World as your category. Is that right? Yes. Now, you have $20. How much are you going to try? And talk right up into the microphone. Ten. What's the name of the southwestern river that acts as a boundary between Texas and Mexico? The Rio Grande. The Rio Grande is right. They're on their way with $30. All right, you got $30. Remember, you're going for $2,000 tonight. How much of the 30 will it be? 20 What is the name of the South American River with the largest volume of water in the world? The Amazon. The Amazon is right. They're on their way now. They have $50. Isn't that strange, the Amazon? I always thought that was a big woman. Huh? <laughs> Turns out to be a river. Well, live and learn. Huh? Here's your, well, she had a big mouth anyhow. Here's your third Here's your third question. How much of the $50 will you try? 30. What is the name of the river that is situated entirely within the boundaries of New York? West Point is on its banks. The Hudson. The Hudson River. 
I've primed her eighty dollars, Groucho. All right, you got eighty dollars. Here's your last chance to beat the other couples. How much of the eighty will you try? Twenty. Twenty dollars. London Bridge crosses one of England's most famous rivers. Which one? Thames. The Thames is right. And they wind up with one hundred dollars, and that means the babysitter and the kindergarten teacher with a hundred seventy get the chance of the DeSoto Plymouth two thousand dollar question. You might not be able to tell a book by its cover, but you can get a pretty good idea about the kind of service you get in a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's shop by taking a look around one. You don't have to be a mechanic to see that there's a lot of special equipment on hand. It's there to help the service mechanics at a DeSoto Plymouth dealer's do better work on your car and to do it faster. The men themselves who work on your car are factory trained in the latest servicing methods. Methods which help keep these skilled men abreast of the latest servicing techniques. All these things add up to a better service. And that's the kind of service you get at an authorized DeSoto Plymouth dealers. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth. Here is the babysitter and the kindergarten teacher, the winning couple, all ready for the DeSoto Plymouth $2,000 question, Groucho. Here we go for $2,000. I'll give you 15 seconds to decide on a single answer between you, so think carefully and please, no help from the audience. Here it is. When Fletcher Christian and his mutineers rebelled against Captain Bly of the Bounty, they sailed to a permanent home on a Pacific island where some of the descendants still live. On what island are the descendants of the Bounty mutineers still living? Okay, what's the answer you two have decided upon? Pitcairn Island. That's right, hey! Pitcairn Island. Well, the kindergarten teacher and the babysitter won $2,000, and what are you going to do with all that money? <laughs> we don't have any children, and you don't have any children, we'd like to help some of our young veteran friends who have children. Well, that's a wonderful way to spend it. <laughs> well, let's see, you, you win $2,000 plus $170 in the quiz. Congratulations from the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast, you bet your life. Bet Your Life is a John Goodell production, transcribed from Hollywood, directed by Robert Dwan and Bernie Smith. Music by Jerry Fielding. Be sure to tune in again next Wednesday night at this time for the Groucho Marx Show, You'll Bet Your Life, presented by the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers of America. And remember, all dealers who sell DeSoto also sell Plymouth, two great cars, both products of the Chrysler Corporation. And don't forget, next week, the big question will be worth... $1,000. Well, Bing Crosby is waiting to use the air, so good night, folks, and remember, just be sure to see your DeSoto Plymouth dealer.
folks, here's a tip from the National Safety Council. The careful driver always considers the careless driver. This is George Fenneman, signing off for the more than 3,000 DeSoto Plymouth dealers from coast to coast.